welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Hedio, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am nerding out a little bit. I'm so excited about this conversation because you and I are going to talk about two of my favorite things. Oh, great. Talk about different religions and how growing up in something different or knowing something different and moving into Christianity and just how mind-blowing that is. And we're going to talk about Christian's place in politics and in the sin of the world and in hard topics and conversations. So we're just... My favorite two topics. (laughs) This is perfect. We're a match made in heaven. But before we jump in, you have such an incredible story. I know that it is impossible to get it all into a two, three minute bio. But just to give people an understanding of where your story is coming from, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I grew up in Southern California. I was raised secular. My parents were immigrants from Iran. I didn't discover the path to religion until college. And in that, the natural fit was Islam. I tried a couple of other things, but culturally we were Muslims, even though we didn't practice. So Islam seemed like a natural fit. One thing led to another. And I, because I got interested after, actually before 9-11, this was the mid nineties in Islamic extremism and terrorism. I ended up moving to DC, developing a career in counterterrorism, especially after 9-11. And my religion and politics and work and professional life all fit together. So I didn't think twice about it until flash forward 22 years later, I'm at the FBI at headquarters. It's the pinnacle of my career. And I decided to take my head cover off. Mm. I was like, what's the big deal? I'm older. What does it matter? And religion like unraveled. It was the most bizarre thing It was as if it came crashing down because everybody told me I would hang from my hair in hellfire, that God would be very angry at me. And so I was just like, how can I stay in a religion where a God punishes because of the fabric? Mm. And I was so terrified of never being good enough that that was all I needed to leave. Right. And so I left. And it wasn't until... I moved back to Southern California because I basically imploded my entire career because if I couldn't basically go into Muslim countries investigating, researching, and providing information as a Muslim, then I was of no benefit. Right. Yeah. So I moved back to Southern California to be close to family and to help my dad with the family business. And I was a mess. I was a mess. I had no relationship with God and I had no internal compass anymore. And I went on social media, just, you know, following tweets of people. I was in an abusive relationship. It was, that was also a mess. Everything in my life was a mess. And this woman said, who I didn't even know was posted a video of a a preacher. And she's like, you got to check this guy out. He's amazing. I just turned on YouTube and I was like, wow, the simple gospel. I didn't know it then, but I was like, wow, this Jesus, this Jesus saves. Like all you got to do is believe. Yeah. That's not the Jesus I knew. That's not the Jesus I was taught. 
And one thing led to another, I was hooked. Who was the Jesus you were taught? Well, it's the Jesus of Islam. So he was a prophet. He was a great man of God, performed miracles. But they came to crucify him. God took him up to heaven. He ascends to heaven. And Judas was put in his place. So it was Judas killed on the cross. So there's no story of resurrection. There's no story of redemption. There's no salvation. It is just a man of God who then, interestingly enough, descends in the last days to fight the Antichrist. Yes. So an important figure, but definitely not the son of God, definitely not the savior. So I want to talk about taking off your head covering because I knew that that imploded your like religion and your experience with religion. I really didn't think about that it also imploded like your political. What did making that decision look like? To tell you the truth, I didn't put that much thought into it when I- Really? Absolutely. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Huh. But because of the backlash that I suffered and because I had this yearning, God was calling me. I tell people it was like in the, in the military, we have a term called the next fill, where you're in a very dangerous situation and you call back to command center and you're like, I need a next fill now. And I felt like that's what God was doing. Yeah. I didn't know it was Jesus, but I felt like God was like, time to go. Yeah. I just told my friends, I'm I'm out of here. I'm like, wait, what do you mean you're out of here? I mean, I left a community that was supporting me for two decades. Yeah. They were everything my daughter knew from birth to 10 years old. And we just left. That's wild. Supernaturally. We supernaturally left. (laughs) You got to experience what a lot of people I think have experienced, but in this kind of almost elevated level that we serve a God that can use the implosion to bring us to him. Amen. That is the comfort of a relationship with the God of Abraham is that, and you talk about this a lot, that your religion turned its back on you when you made an external change. Like this very, if we're being honest in the grand scheme of things, simple external change. And that was all it took. And meanwhile, the God that was calling you to himself used that to be like, yep, she's mine. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. I'll take her. And because I had such a strong network, because my professional, personal, social life was all wrapped into one, if that didn't implode, I don't think I could have made it. Right, right. So he literally burnt everything behind me. And he'll do that. And you'll, <laughs> you're standing there amongst the rubble going, They said you were good. They said you (laughs) were kind. And then it's just such a good reminder that his goodness and his kindness always exceeds this very small box that we put him in. Right? That he can use. And you, you say this a lot, that there was no guarantee of salvation, but there was a guarantee of damnation. Right? (laughs) That, That your religion and being Muslim, they're, there is no guarantee of salvation in that religion. No, you are constantly left wondering, am I good enough? Will this ever work? Will I ever spend an eternity? And that's when you're when you're conscious of the importance of that eternal decision, that's a big deal. Huge. You're not thinking temporarily, okay, fine, I'm going to die 60, 70, 80 years, whatever it is, but I have an eternity somewhere and where am I going? Right. And not only that, but this religion that I'm practicing and devoting my life and my career to 
can't give me that promise. But if I show my hair, that's it. That's it. It's over. It's all done. And I don't mean that. Like I genuinely don't mean it in like a mocking way. It's a gosh. Do we take Christianity? Those of us who grew up in it, it's a reminder that to not take what we are offered for granted. Absolutely. Absolutely. The free gift of salvation that Christ offers from his sacrifice, nothing we did to earn or deserve it, is tremendous. Mm -hmm. It is a tremendous gift that we should never fail to acknowledge. We have the opposite. Exact opposite. We have the guarantee of salvation with the promise that we will not experience damnation once we're in him. Right. It's no matter how crappy we are. Turned right, exactly. It's like turned on its head. Yes. So I'm really I'm interested in the comparison and contrast between the Bible and the Quran because you talk about how God really used the Quran to be kind of this example as someone who I mean, and you were devout, and I, I'm ex- I want to talk about you know the the combating terrorism and how that furthered your career, but on the religion side of things, what was that experience like to go from reading one quote unquote sacred text to another? Very different. So I had a degree in introduction to Islamic jurisprudence. It's a very, very sophisticated subject. So to go beyond the introduction, like the say college level would require a mastery of Arabic, which I did not have. But even in that pursuit, it was like any other subject that I studied in undergrad or graduate school, it was, it required dedication. It required memorization and it was difficult for me. Yeah. But when I came to Christ and so when I started to study the Bible, it was after I had been baptized. It is after I let the Lord in my heart. I believed I was sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible came alive. <laughs> it, I, it, I would read it and it was talking to me and people who aren't Believers are like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, because my brain and heart have internalized concepts that the religion of Islam had taken from Christianity and had taken from Judaism. They're considered people of the book. So as those concepts that were in my consciousness and subconsciousness came into conflict with doctrine of the Bible, the Lord was exposing that to me by just inspiring my heart with, you see why that understanding that you had was wrong. Yeah. Why this is the correct understanding. It was magnificent, continues to be magnificent. I do find it interesting that studying the Quran, even on a educational level, was difficult. And then the Bible just came to life. Absolutely. It was like almost easy. I tried to explain that to my teenage daughter. I said, you don't understand that the relationship with God is intimate and personal and supernatural. This is not like, because she remembers from her childhood wearing the head cover and the up and down prayers and trying to memorize the Quran. And she hated it from two years old. I mean, the the girl was born disliking it. And so it was just force. And so, and she still actually remembers that. And I said, what I'm asking you to understand is that God we believe in now is a living God. Wants to have a relationship with you. Pick up the Bible, pray and let him talk to you. And so it's just, it's a completely different experience. I I say the same thing when I'm trying to witness to Muslims, like, don't take my word for it. Right. Ask God to reveal himself to you. You say at one point that it was a never ending attempt to control my actions, to draw near to Allah, which I will say as someone who grew up in the Bible belt, 
There are Christians who have that experience with God as well. The difference is it is self-imposed versus religion-imposed. Have you kind of had any of that version of Christianity in your orbit? And does it feel like, oh no, that's not it? (laughs) So there's a couple of things. Yes, because I describe it often as like this gilded cage where Islam put these bars around me. And as soon as the bars were removed, I flew out and acted like a 20-year-old crazy person again. Like I, it was monkey in, monkey out. Nothing had transformed in me. So now coming to Christ, there are still in my prayer life and in meditation and reading the scripture, the Lord has impressed upon me the importance of certain disciplines. Mm. I know he has kept me as a person engaged in ministry, held me to a higher standard. And I understand those tenets. It's part of a loving relationship where there's a walk with him. Like, yeah. come daughter, learn my ways, walk with me. And it's it's out of that loving relationship that I abide by those principles so that I could become more Christ-like. Because the closer I get to him, the easier it becomes to do it. Yes, exactly. But it's a partnership. We don't do it. You know, you don't just lie there and be like, oh, Holy Spirit, come fix this for me. It requires our participation where the Holy Spirit empowers us, but we have to be willing to surrender our flesh to it. Right. And there were times when the Lord, I knew, wanted certain actions from me. And I was just like, I think I feel like doing that right now. And I could feel him being like, okay, this is up to you now. And it would be like nosedive crash. Yep. And I would pick myself up, knowing full well that it was all my fault, and just repent. Yeah. And then move on. How different is that compared to the story that you just told of there is no crash and burn in many other religions and there's no redemption. There's no room to make mistakes without intense amounts of fear and shame and punishment and retribution. And that is, you were saying earlier about like the living savior. That's the difference is that it's been It's been taken care of. Yes. It's not that we can do what, you know, do whatever we want because. Not a license to sin. Exactly. (laughs) You just explained that so well. And I love that as someone who grew up and experienced a different religion, that you have this fine-tuned, eloquent way to say it's a relationship because you've experienced what a religion without relationship looks like. Sure. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. And if you're among them, I need you to know that you're not alone and that there's a solution you can trust to deliver some results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. It supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning. Nutrafol has three physician-formulated formulas using natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients so you can get the most reliable results. And in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code BLAKE to save $15 off your first month's subscription.
This is their best offer they offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Blake. I want to shift a little bit into the political side of your career. You were combating terrorism. Like you were actively helping the American government in counterterrorism. Just as a political nerd, I just want to hear a little bit what that was like. <laughs> <laughs> so my career started in the mid 90s. Bin Laden was recruiting for, was a re- recruiting Americans to go over and fight in Afghanistan and Boston. So that experience I basically just started doing research. What was motivating kids to go? What was the incentive? What kind of doctrine, what kind of religious doctrine were they listening to? What kind of social emotional problems did they have that would that would lead them to think that that was okay? What kind of hero syndrome were they experiencing? And it was at a time when the FBI did not have the internal capacity to do that research for themselves. Mm. It's hard to explain, but they had technical limitations. They didn't have access to open source internet information. And so I came across these two FBI guys who were one of only three guys in the entire FBI that were actually even paying attention to this stuff. And we just struck up a friendship. Just, hey, let's share information. How can I help you? And remember, in my focus, my desire was to separate mainstream moderate Muslims from the terrorists. Right. It looked like it was going to continue to be a problem That was my concern. I was a great patriot. The last thing I wanted is the thing I'm a part of to be considered public enemy number one. Right. And I think that was helpful. Ultimately, flash forward 9-11 hits. I'm in uh, Washington, D.C., and it just catapults my career because I had the street cred of doing it before. It was cool. Yeah. And so I got appointed to serve in Afghanistan in our embassy in Afghanistan, came back from Afghanistan. And if you know anything about the DC Beltway, basically what it is, is you, you go into a think tank, then you get a job in the administration, your party can lose the election, you go back to a think tank, and then your party comes back in, you go back into the administration. So that's just the routine I was in. And then when I was at a think tank or foundations, the US government would fund programs that I designed to basically understand the roots of terrorism in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Indonesia, Southeast Asia, and then flash forward to 2015 and onward, when we started to really have a problem with homegrown violent extremism, basically young American kids deciding to join ISIS. Yeah. The most bizarre trend ever. I developed an evidence-based program to prevent terrorism here in the United States. I remember that so clearly. They were actually the, wasn't the Boston Marathon this weekend? Oh, I didn't know I think it was this last weekend and it was, we had it, just kind of had it on TV and they're obviously doing a lot of coverage of, of that situation. And what were some of the things that you found was pushing kids into that? Well, that phenomenon was somewhat unique in the right. sense that they were not raised Muslims. Mm-hmm. They were American kids, mm-hmm. and many of them were recent converts. So it seemed to be the power, which we're seeing now with the trans movement and the same-sex attraction and all of those similar problems that we're experiencing with young people, it was the power of social media. It was the 
power of flash, excitement, the hero complex. Hey, come fight with us. We're going to give you a machine gun. You're going to conquer cities. You're going to have, you know, multiple wives at your disposal. You won't have to worry about a thing. You're just going to come over here and conquer the world. Right. Mix that with a couple of social emotional disturbances, a bad family life, a lack of discipline. A lot of them came to Islam for structure, for order, for obedience. And it was a Molotov cocktail. Right. It was crazy. It really was crazy. It really was. Do you believe in the concept of a social contagion? It depends. Like it, it like what definition would you use for that? Because I've I've heard I've heard it described a couple of different ways. Yeah. Well, honestly, it what I define it as is very much what you just described, which is essentially social media and media in general telling, especially young, impressionable, but I, I don't think that it is older people are completely exempt from it, right. but telling them that something is true. And that if they do X, Y, Z, they will find A, right? Like that's the formula. (laughs) If you do this and you do this, you will find either success, happiness, peace, comfort, whatever it is that these people are searching for. And it's like literally a formula and people follow the formula, but the end result is not what they were told it would be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very, it's very similar to what we're seeing now with the trans movement. Yeah, it really is. You're promising that if you don't have any definitions of gender and you could choose your gender, you'll be happy. If you transition at four years old, you're going to be happy. All the problems with depression and suicide and isolation will all go away. And it's just absolutely untrue. Well, and it's, we're starting to see, unfortunately, the other side of that coin, which is not only is it untrue, it, it is a lot of the time exacerbating, like it's making things worse, not better. Absolutely. And that was, that was true back then as well. These kids were promised, like you were saying, multiple wives and machine guns and they're killed. not and alive. They they're dying. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they, were, they were the ones that they would use as fodder for suicide bombers. Right. You know, they were basically just blowing them up in trucks. It was, it was tragic. It was. So having, being someone who's had a career in the political realm and is a follower of Christ. I, and I read this to you before I started recording, but I found this quote in an article that you wrote for the Christian post. And I want to read it really quick. And then I want to talk about it because this is actually a conversation that I've been having a lot with like my friends, not as much on the internet. Cause it's, it's a little touchy, but I think it's important. So you said there's a tension between those who do not engage in the affairs of the kingdom of the world because they are quote unquote citizens of heaven. And those who believe divine citizenship is the reason to espouse righteousness here on earth. Silence in the face of sin is tactic acceptance. If I could drop my mic, I would. (laughs) It's attached to an arm. (laughs) And I appreciate that you start the statement with that there is a tension between the two. Because I think we would be lying to say there isn't. I think we want to be like, everything's fine. You do you. I'll do me. But that's just not the, that's not the truth. Not at all. Where do you think that tension comes from? Is it because we each side thinks the other is wrong? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because if you, depending on, so let me back up a little bit because my, my personal life before Christ, my professional life was all about my politics. So it was, uh, there was my warrior spirit was something I had from a very young age. When I come to Christ, 
I think it's all going to be rainbows and unicorns. Right. I was so excited. I I thought I was going to ride off into the sunset. It was just going to be this beautiful, peaceful life, just me and Jesus. And it wasn't three or four months when I heard this daughter rise. Mm -hmm. It's time to get going. And I was like, wait, what? And it literally, I think, took him six months to actually convince me I was going to become a general in the army of Christ. I was like, no, no, no. My fighting's done. I'm done fighting. Right. You're like, I want the green pastures and the still <laughs> waters. Like that. Can I have that? <laughs> it was, I, and I, shot, I really, it was so hard for me to accept. Mm-hmm. And it was a constant prayer and meditation with the Lord's like, he gave me the image of the bionic man. I don't know if you remember those because you're quite young. <laughs> I do. And it was where the, he took out the inside of his arm, like there was this, these metal plates that were being put in that gave him his supernatural power. And the Lord showed me a similar image that I am remaking you into my soldier. You're not going to be that angry, vindictive, mean person that you used to be. And that was my biggest fear is that if I was in the trenches, I was going to be that nasty person. The easiest way you could describe me was scary. Yeah. Whether it was people I worked with, whether it was my friends, whether it was even my own family. And I didn't want to be that person anymore. Mm -hmm. And so the Lord's like assuring me that that's not the person I'm going to be because that's not a soldier. Christ. Right. We don't fight our battles that way. Right. And so it is, but I have discovered as I write, uh, as my articles come out in the post or our friends in church, that this is a hotly contested issue, politics in the church. Of course, the church we go to, me and my husband, we love our pastor. He is absolutely on the front lines of this battle, but we go to a local church and we feel like they are sometimes even staring at us and being like, that is not appropriate. Romans, you must obey authority. You know, Romans, I think it's 13.1. Yep. Obedience to authority is a primary duty of a Christian. And it's there. It, yeah. The struggle is real. I do think that your fear is a lot of believers fear in, I like that you said, getting into the trenches, that it's going to make you mean, that it's going to make you angry. And it's not a fear without foundation because there are absolutely right. Christian voices in the political space that I'm listening to going, like, (laughs) I can admit that there have been times where I have not been my healthiest, where I haven't been walking as closely with the Lord as most beneficial for everyone involved and have devolved into anger or pettiness or, or getting into arguments that are not a good use of my time. And that's just practice and there being room to fail and make mistakes and grow and learn. But if nothing else, if Christians could just understand that being in the trenches of the, what is essentially a war for righteousness at this point, it doesn't mean you have to be mean. It doesn't mean you have to be angry. It shouldn't mean that. Yes. That's exactly, like, it's not that it, it's a maybe, it's that that's the hope because we want to look different while still being in the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you look at your life, let's say before, in the trenches before, mean, scary, idea, versus today, what are the biggest differences you see? Oh, the, the biggest are the fruit of the spirit. I mean, yeah. the, the compassion, kindness, forbearance. Yeah. I had no concept of forbearance. I had no concept of compassion. Yeah. I, I fought till victory, whether it was an argument or over a contract or over an idea. I would not stop until I won. 
Yeah. And no matter how bloody the victim was at the end, it didn't matter. I had no concept of forbearance and self-control. Yeah. Now winning is not the point. Yeah. It's about being a good witness. The most important factor now to me is, am I a good witness to Christ? Are people going to look at me and be like, I want what she has? Yeah. For example, I was witnessing at a Persian New Year celebration for my church. And some guy, I basically said, you can only have one hamburger instead of two. And the man went bananas on me. Absolutely bananas. He's yelling at me. And I'm standing there. And all I'm doing is saying, forgive me. I'm sorry. It's my mistake. Forgive me. I'm sorry. And I'm saying it in Farsi. It, he eventually stops. <laughs> he eventually stops yelling. But I did not respond. I had no retort. There was no rebuttal. I'm sorry. It's my fault. I'm sorry. And two ladies came up to me afterwards and said, we have never in our Persian community see somebody do that. Mm. And he engaged in what's typical of our community. And you just, you wouldn't go there. Yeah. What made you do that? And I said, that's just Jesus. Yeah. And that was the greatest witness I could have provided. I could have had a thousand responses to that man for what he was accusing me of, but it didn't matter. The wisdom, the discernment that the Lord gave me was smile. Right. What do you lose? It's knowing the difference. It's knowing, hi, this is the time in which I'm going to make a point about society, about faith, about, and there were plenty of times in those conversations where people would say, oh, it's the same God. We're all the same. And I'd say, no, I'm sorry, but it's actually not the same God. Mm -hmm. And then I would leave it alone, you know, like dropping just little, just little pointers so that they got the message across without being antagonistic. There's so much restraint and power that comes from the Holy Spirit to know when to speak and when not to, when to give in and when to fight. I have the same like justice complex of wanting to win. And the big game changer for me was realizing like the war has already been won. Right. Right. If that is what, if, you know, eternity and making heaven full is what you have your eyes set on, then all of this, like, yeah, okay, you want to be mad? Do you want to yell at me? You want to call me names, et cetera, et cetera. My, one of my really good friends literally texted me this morning and was like, your comment section is a dumpster fire. <laughs> and I was like, fun fact, I barely even read my comments anymore. First, because they are such a dumpster fire, but also what am I going to do? Go back and forth with these people that are a stranger and get, let it affect me emotionally. And it's not going to change anything. I can simply put the information out there that I feel led to put out there. And at the end of the day, there's nothing to win. I stopped reading the comments on my articles after the first couple of weeks. Yeah. I, it was so emotionally traumatizing. My husband was like, stop reading those. Oh Yeah. You mean I could just not respond and stop reading? He's like, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, you learned that lesson way faster than I did because it took me about four years. No. Oh, how traumatizing. Oh, so traumatizing. One day I'm going to have to like record an episode about just the absolute dark, deep pit that is the comment section of anything because people are so emboldened to say whatever they want behind their keyboard. But it is coming around to this isn't even something to be won because the second they posted that comment, they lost. Right. Right. Like, and people choosing anger and choosing to lash out, you've already lost. Sure. In the argument. Not again, not that it's something to be won, but if it was. (laughs) 
if it was you know i constantly repeat the phrase to me i don't know if it's joyce myers or who started it but like i will not let you steal my joy yeah whether it's traffic or a nasty salesperson or my kid i'm just right. not gonna let you steal my joy today <laughs> amen i love that this was such an incredible conversation i'm so thankful for your service and your wisdom and just that you're out there sharing so much truth with people who need it. Tell people where they can find and follow and keep up with you online. Yes, it is. All things are encompassed on my website. It's resurrect ministry, not plural resurrectministry.com. And my husband and I do a podcast called the living fearless devotional, but all my content from the Christian post, our podcast, all that information is located on the website. And people can also drop me a comment. I read all of those personally. And it's always a a great pleasure to hear from people. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.